0: Hello and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Canyas. And today I have three awesome guests with me and we are starting a conversation uh, that I think is really, really, really important about climate change and uh, insurance, uh, potentially being a leader in this space. So today I have with me uh, Skyler Holder. Did I get that right? Skyler, right? Yeah, that's right. Skyler Holder, uh, who uh, wrote a really awesome article in Team Vogue about this topic uh, after her risk management major. Uh, I must say, I, I don't think I ever read an article in Team Vogue until your article. <laughs> uh, so fantastic job, job on that. Uh, then we have uh, Kevin McComber, who uh, is an MIT grad and fellow CPCU, uh, spent three years in our industry, uh, during which he noticed some things uh that we could do better and started uh, helping the industry improve and finally mary sweeters with ensure our futures part of the sunshine project so i kind of did the interest real real quick uh since we have somewhat limited time today and there's four of us uh but but skyler I, i'd love to to start with with the article How how did you end up uh writing what what led you to it and and i'll include the links to every article we we mentioned but but i'm really curious uh, how how it happened
1: yeah absolutely um i mean i think the ultimate thing that held me up and um and helped me write the article was um with the help of the ensure our future campaign I worked with um, writers there. I told them I had an idea, um, a message to get across, and they supported me through that. I just um, overall, the purpose of the article was to educate and inform students about uh, insurance with students specifically about a problem that they may not have known that existed. Um, put a different perspective on the industry, talking about how um, coal and fossil fuels, these industries, these projects, um, they wouldn't exist, so they wouldn't be supported without insurance carrying them. So I just wanted to shine a light and, um, and maybe shine a vo- show a voice um, in talking about how, um, I mean, these industries need to be called out and that insurance is a part of the problem.
0: And I'll, I'll be honest. I've I've been here for eleven years. Uh, I, I've I, I'm a giant insurance nerd. I think that I understand insur- insurance fairly well. Uh, and I, when the first time that that that, that I chatted with Mary, uh, my perspective was entirely: we should stop investing in, in dirty fuels. I have no idea how much we do invest. I I did know that insurance is one of the, of, of the big institutional investors. I didn't know quite how big, uh, and, and I figured, you know, over time we should stop investing in that. But, but I hadn't even ever thought of, of the underwriting side.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The projects uh, wouldn't exist without the underwriting aspect.
0: A hundred percent. And I think even if you work in insurance, unless you've been here for a long time, you don't realize that, if nobody will underwrite it it's it's impossible to do basically at least in the, in the developed world exactly uh so 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 i think that that it is crucial for for us to as an industry to realize the power that that gives us and i'm not saying that we should flex our muscle uh on anything we disagree with but on the the case of of climate change it's 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 a, it's a big deal it's a, it's a very very big deal and and i i uh, i'm an older millennial and and uh Generationally speaking, all the research says that that we are concerned, uh, as, as, as a generation, about climate change, and, and, and that uh, most millennials understand that this is science, uh, even in the, if in the States it's been heavily politicized. Uh, and if I understand correctly, Gen Sears, which is your generation, uh, even more than that, right? The, you guys are more than clear. Is, is that what, what you saw in, in school? Uh, were most of your classmates kind of clear on the signs?
1: It was it was no contest. It's like we we came out of the womb knowing that it was a thing, <laughs> knowing that we would have to deal with it. Um, it was never a convincing argument. We just knew it was there, knew it was a problem. Um, and I I think that's true across the board that I uh, that I saw in school. There was absolutely no contest
0: about it. And you, did you did you go to school in Houston, or I, th- I think you live in Houston now.
1: No, no, I, I'm, I'm originally from Houston. I um, graduated from the University of North Texas, which is in uh, Denton, Texas.
0: OK, so even in conservative Texas, uh, Gen Sears, in your experience, are, are understand that this is science.
1: Even in conservative Texas, I mean, you'll see that even in red states. Gen Z, right? You you come, you come through and you speak to people um, in that generation. um, One, you know, they come across as wanting more ethical practices from companies. They're willing to pay more for products that are more sustainably sourced. Um, And they're looking for um, like uh, conscious capitalism. They just they just want companies to be transparent. They want them to do the right things. Um, and they're willing to lay down sacrifices and um, even pay more as consumers to get those things that they're expecting.
0: Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me.
2: I think there was um, even a study that uh, insurance employees, or maybe it was just millennials, Mary, you probably have the exact data, like 44% of millennials said they would actually take a pay decrease to work for a company that is you know, proactive on sustainability and climate change. Um, so not only consumers but also just employees and their paychecks
0: that that is the very interesting i i i'm assuming no insurance specific numbers exist on that but what what i what i can tell you is, is that this is an incredibly tight labor market and you're boom within insurance right 2.2% uh unemployment as we record today uh even though we're in the middle of the of the covid recession uh and uh your boomers are retiring, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? So that's leaving you with very pragmatic Gen Xers uh, and uh, very, very, uh, I don't even want to say liberal or conservative, uh, and two generations that understand that this is science. Uh, And and millennials especially were were raised to do something good for the world. Uh, So it's definitely a plus. and I would love to see us get to a point as, as 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 a generation where 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 we start flexing our muscle in in our industry. Uh, so so Kevin, you, you you came into into the industry uh, from an MIT degree and and with no insurance experience. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your experience coming in and and that first project that got you thinking about uh, uh, that accidentally uh, showed you that insurance could do more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in semiconductors. I worked for Intel making computer chips for a number of years in a process engineering role. And then uh, my wife and I had a baby, moved back to the Boston area. And um, through some connections, I ended up landing a job with a large multinational carrier based in Boston in a process engineering role as well, but on the claim side. Um, And it was actually just by seeing some operations that weren't, um, I'd say it was a lot of waste. And that was really my job was to eliminate waste. Uh, I was seeing foam piling up in the cafeteria you know, um, and that kind of thing just, I'd never really been super conscious about environmental impacts, but it just seemed like absolute waste, especially when we were in a building that was LEED Silver certified. So um, I felt like we needed to take action. Um, and you know I'd seen other companies like in the tech space, pretty quickly follow uh, something that's kind of a morally right. So I figured insurance maybe would, but maybe wouldn't. And I, you know, just to compare the two industries. When I was working at Intel, um, we had process engineering documents, uh, for our technicians who were running the machines that were several hundred pages long and we changed them every week. No problem in insurance. We had a 20 page, uh, operating procedure for our claims folks that we changed about every quarter, and we got a lot of pushback, right? So that was kind of the difference in mentality, like a total different pace. Um, And when we started approaching folks within the company about making some sort of a statement about sustainability or climate change, um, generally got nodding heads, but mostly we were met with crickets. Um, And that kind of thing just didn't sit well with me. I really saw, like you mentioned, a leadership opportunity, like you see in tech, where someone like an Amazon comes out and says, we're making a climate pledge. We're gonna be carbon neutral by 2040, 10 years in advance of the Paris Climate Agreement. You know, that kind of thing strikes a chord with millennials and insurers are trying to recruit people from the likes of Amazon because insurers are recognizing there's a big opportunity in tech on the claims side, on the underwriting side, you know, AI, all that kind of stuff, they're trying to get that talent. Amazon can make a statement like that. Shouldn't we as insurers be able to make a statement like that and come out ahead and take a leadership role? Unfortunately, it met with a good amount of resistance. You know, I can I can understand it. Insurance plays a pretty foundational role in society. To change something in insurance and therefore change something that underpins a large portion of society can be a big challenge. So I think they're a little bit loath maybe to make, you know, a pretty large pronouncement like that. Um, but I am hopeful and we're seeing a lot of good signs in Europe first as well as now in the US. The US does lag Europe, but I'm I'm hopeful that we will see that kind of change here because the war for talent, like you said, is real, and we're competing with tech companies now, um, so it's it's really getting uh, hot in that space. And I think that insurers are going to have no other choice if they really want to attract folks like Scholar to their companies.
0: You you bring up a fantastic point, which which is we're we're we want tech talent, we need tech talent, right? It's not all we need, but but it's one of the hardest ones to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Jacobson uh, Ward survey. Uh, of insurance hiring which you do every six months every time that hardest talent to to find is uh tech talent and, and other anal- analytics talent uh tech actuarial and, and analytics uh and from the demographic perspective everything i'm reading uh implies that or very strongly implies that you can't just go oh that's crazy tech workers they'll write uh, the, the, like We don't need that many of them we can find the ones that don't mind but really like it's going to spread to the through through the rest of of of, of the workforce uh Mm -hmm. as as the boomers retire and you have a a younger uh uh, yeah absolutely
2: you you know a a younger population coming in and we also have these what i call digital first startups right like a lemonade coming in process a claim in three seconds using ai that kind of stuff is going to eat the lunch of the bigger insurers and they know it um, you know, I was in corporate strategy for a couple of years and that kind of stuff really does scare larger insurers. Um, so you need to hire that talent to kind of, you know, stave off the, the and compete with the new entrants as well as just to replace the incumbent workforce. Um, so you're really getting it from both sides. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a crunch. You know, you don't want to be picking the bottom of the barrel after the, the Googles and Amazons have had their ways. You really want to be first and foremost. And to do that, you have to not only attract the minds, but also the hearts of millennials and Gen Zers and that's going to happen by by taking a leadership mentality on something that's very important to these generations
0: and and it, it makes sense on so many levels so the, the, like you are if, if, if you're underwriting you know, oil pipelines or uh, mm-hmm. coal coal mines uh, you're costing yourself future losses uh, in, in, on the property side uh and maybe even on the liability side if if the courts start start you know falling on on, on that side mm-hmm. uh mary uh, i i think that you're you're probably the the, the one that's closest to 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 this uh, tell us about about the progress in europe and 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 how we could copy that in the states
3: yeah um you know i was thinking about this when kevin mentioned it earlier that you know there is there's precedent for this worldwide um at this point you know as we mentioned before uh, the insurance industry is a major institutional investor, right? It's not just the underwriting side. I think, Tony, you said you know, one of the first things you thought about was the fact that you know, these insurance companies invest billions and billions of dollars, um, including into the fossil fuel industry. But a, a number of insurers have recognized this worldwide. At this point, over 60 insurers have adopted some sort of divestment policy or a policy to make no new investments into fossil fuels. Primarily, this is focused on coal. Sometimes it also um, includes like, things like tar sands or other parts of oil, the oil and gas sector. So, that's a huge number of, of insurers worldwide that have adopted those kinds of policies. Unfortunately, in the US, the US insurance industry is, is quite far behind, and just a handful have adopted any kinds of, of divestment policies. Um, and on the underwriting side, uh, at this point, over 30 insurance companies and reinsurance companies have adopted policies to restrict the underwriting that they will provide for coal. Uh, again, it's mostly focused on coal, tar sands, but even some um, have also started to expand into other parts of the oil and gas sector. So I think there's, there's a growing recognition of the risks of you know being heavily exposed to fossil fuels on the investment underwriting side. Um, and there's this recognition of what we're talking about where in order to recruit and retain some of the best talent, as the workforce expectation on insurance companies you know shifts um, and people are expecting that their companies will respond to the threats of climate change and sort of take some responsibility for it that companies are are seeing this and are starting to to take notice. In addition to the you know the financial incentives, I think there have been increasing analyses that have come out around um, insurers, for example, I think Societe Generale had a, a report out a month or two ago that showed that stock valuation for insurers that exited the coal sector um, went up. Moody's has also shown that it's uh, better for insurers to exit the coal sector um, in terms of like credit risk. So you know, there's a lot of, I think, factors there that um, insurers primarily outside of the U.S. are recognizing. Um, and I think there's a real leadership opportunity now for U.S. insurers to kind of step into that gap.
0: What, what can we do as, as employees of insurance companies? So, so my perspective is uh, realize your value, realize the rarity of, of, of your experience, uh, and then don't be a, afraid to flex that muscle. Uh, first by asking for changes and, and then by going to, the place, to work at the places that are actually doing it. That's my perspective. What, what, what have you guys think? What, what, do, you, what do you guys think? And what, what, do you, what have you guys seen that that is working?
2: I can speak from my experience, uh, the, you know, starting this kind of internal employee group um, at this large insurer, it was just a snowball effect. I was literally standing around with five other people at a company outing one summer, and we were talking about how much waste there was in the cafeteria. One thing led to another, we were knocking on doors asking if we could improve that. We started a little internal, we kind of have like an internal Facebook, internal social media group, swelled to over a hundred people. We set up a board. Um, Now, you know, I no longer work there, uh, but my understanding is it's over 800 people in that group now. So just kind of providing that seed if it's not there already. And then once it's there, talking to your fellow employees and getting together a critical mass that can try to grow you know, an internal movement. And I think we were also careful with how we portrayed ourselves to the leadership of the company. It was like I'm saying to take a leadership role, to work with them, to try to make the company better, improve its profitability, um, improve its employee engagement, improve its recruiting. It's not, you know, attacking leadership because they haven't done something. It's helping them to improve the company. And that was, I think the key really to coming at it from the right angle. And I truly did believe that there was that opportunity. So it was an easy sell.
1: Yeah, I would, um, I would say not necessarily as an employee, but say from the, from the student perspective. So uh, I don't think there's any shame in, um, in being critical or asking the right questions, especially for a prospective employer. Um, I don't think it, I don't think wanting reform or wanting the company that you want to work for to be better necessarily deters candidates, but almost makes it a uh, Makes your company more attainable to people who want to work there. So, um, I would say that, you know, if at conventions, when you're trying to make that 32nd elevator speech, you're trying to impress that recruiter, get your foot in the door, um, asking the right questions. I mean, it starts, it used to be, um, asking about diversity and inclusion, how diverse is your company? What are you doing to be, uh, to show in like that you're inclusive now it could be what kind of green policies do you have ask about um, if they have any um, policies regarding coal or fossil fuels even if it's in an interview setting I mean they always tell you to ask questions at the end of an interview I mean you can ask what the work environment is and you can also ask about what the company is doing to be more sustainable just I mean it, it should become more normal to start asking those questions um, rather than just surface level questions now as they are about diversity and inclusion. I mean, that's just, just like, that's routine now. So um, throw different ones in there. And then, I mean, if it's the right company and they, um, and they respect you enough as a candidate, I mean, that should, um, that should almost put you at the top because you're asking different questions compared to other people that they're interviewing.
0: I can definitely tell you from the, from the staffing perspective, uh, if, if I have, uh, candidates asking me the same thing. It, it gets noticed, right? Those, those are the kind of things that, that internally, when we're hiring, we we, we discuss. Uh, hey, we should have a, a plan for for that because it keeps coming over. It keeps coming up over and over in the interviews. And, uh, it's it's affecting our ability to 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 get the candidates we want. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
3: I'll just I'll chime in too and say that you know I, I talk to um, insurance professionals sort of across the industry I've probably at this point talked to folks from seven or eight different major insurance companies um, who are all concerned about climate change um, and who want to see more from their employer and I think you know some of them are sort of in the process of seeking out. Uh, other colleagues that they can talk to and figure out like, hey, how, what is the best way as Kevin described? it, What's the best way that we can you know, advocate internally to the company? How can we demonstrate that we really care about this? Um, others actually like both Kevin and Skylar, are even writing um, kind of pieces to kind of share their concerns and maybe make some suggestions and bring some solutions forward to the industry more broadly. Um, in fact, actually just today, a senior underwriter based in California wrote a piece. Um, I think in, in property casualty 360 about um, you know what what can the insurance industry do? Um, so I think you know there's there's certainly an increasing number of employees who are sort of recognizing this um, issue and seeing where there's both responsibility and opportunity for the insurance industry to to step forward and are starting to have some of those internal conversations and, and try to, to bring things forward, which I think is is really heartening.
2: And Tony, if I could come at it from the other. So I kind of from the top you know i think a number of your listeners are probably executives in insurance companies um, one thing that i learned in process engineering especially in semiconductors was always listen to your people because that's where really good ideas come from uh, and that was one thing that really irked me when i came to leadership of my company with some ideas they kind of got the the sound treatment and cold shoulder um, you know so really please do listen to your employees and, and try to understand what they're saying um, and if they're coming to you with something that could improve the company, let's dig into it, right? Let's get after it because that's that's going to not only hopefully improve the company, but it would also significantly improve you know, employee retention, and morale. Um, if you home grow something that you know is meaningful to your employees,
0: it makes sense. And and I think that that the generational piece plays big into it. And I, I think that's. That's something for for both sides, both the leadership and and just the employees to to, to understand. Uh, sometimes change happens one retirement at a time, uh, and very often uh, change happens uh, little by little and then all at once, right? So, so mm-hmm. I, I think that that uh, as the the silver tsunami keeps hitting us, uh, all of a sudden Gen Xers are. Inheriting the positions of power, the right person just moved on, and now the the, uh, the 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 ground is fertile for for change that that speaks to that to that new leadership. Uh, so, so keeping an eye on on those leadership changes, getting getting in front of them, uh, getting in front of the, of the right people when that are likely to get those big promotions, putting them in places where they can really make changes, uh, having them on your side before. <laughs> They get the promotion. Uh, and is, I also yes. want to point out
2: there are a lot of folks who are not millennials and not Gen Zers who are extremely supportive, um, you know, of having a leadership position, and they're in positions of leadership. But you know, one thing I learned, we had forty-some odd thousand employees and thousands of leaders. Right? You can have a lot of people who want to do it, but if there are strong voices in the room who are opposing it, the the people who really want to do it are often going to get silenced. And it's an extremely complex task to try to do something of this magnitude, especially in a company that big, with like you mentioned all the politics and the things around it that, you know, scare a lot of folks from taking a position. So I think sometimes we tend to think like, oh, the company can just make this decision, but there's so much uh, internally and stakeholders that it's actually very complex, let alone, you know, the actual business implementation of, taking some sort of a stance, but the actual just decision to make it can be exceedingly complex. And I I don't think it has to come, you know, just from younger generations. There are folks who have been at companies for decades who are very, very interested in this too. And I would definitely want to have them at the table um, because I think that they're an exceedingly important part of this puzzle.
1: Sorry, uh, I, I can attest to that. I, I, went to, I went to a protest um, in front of a particular insurer's building and half of the group were 40, 50 years older than I was, and I didn't even recognize them as part of the group initially. I just thought they were just innocent bystanders caught in our, in our chants, but no, they were actively a part of the group, which was super awesome to see. It was crazy. Yeah.
0: Is, is there a playbook? Is, is there a set of resources? For, for people who want to bring change to their company it's kind of an open question I'm kind of looking at Mary but it's more, it's an open question
3: <laughs> sure I can I can take a stab at that um, you know I think so the insurer future initiative which is com- you know composed of um, a number of NGOs worldwide um, including several here in the United States um, has provided you know developed some resources just I think primarily, you know, the first step for employees who are concerned about climate change and maybe aren't entirely familiar with how the insurance industry is sort of contributing to the issue. You know, many folks recognize increasingly that, of course, climate change is affecting the insurance industry, um, but that there's also kind of that reverse relationship that we've been talking about through underwriting and investments. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, and I can share some of these links, Tony, if you want to, you know, include them, but we put out an annual scorecard that looks at about 30 global insurance companies and kind of compares them on some of their sustainability issues around fossil fuel underwriting and investments um, and maybe some of their other stewardship behaviors. Um, Insurance-scorecard.com is actually the the URL for the the most recent um, scorecard and that came out in December 2020. Um, It's sort of an interactive table you can kind of look at if you work you know one of the companies is one of your own that you work for For example, you can kind of go in and see a little bit more detail about um, how they got the score that they did. Um, Spoiler alert, um, many have a long way to go. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, there's certainly a gap, I think, as we mentioned before, between um, insurers outside of the U.S., mostly in um, Europe. Some in Australia have also taken some good steps forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, like we mentioned before, um, most of the U.S. insurers, unfortunately, have are lagging quite far behind, but I think have that real leadership potential. Um, So that's definitely one place for employees to go just to kind of get a little bit more oriented to like, what is this issue? What does this look like? Um, And then I can provide some other resources for employees as well just to kind of get themselves a little bit more oriented to the issue um, and potentially, you know, talk with folks, support folks with, you know, ideas and ways to um, kind of approach this productively within their workplace.
0: Okay. So that's, the, the basic lay of the land, uh, b- basically. Uh, much more to come uh, from from insurance nerds and Sunshine Project and and uh, uh, insure futures on, on this topic. But I encourage all the listeners to to lead. Uh, and and by the by the way, I, j- I just thought of this. I I made a career for myself on being a elected leader <laughs> on, on, on on being a, a a leader without a job title uh, on the issue of, of engaging the, the uh, younger professionals within our industry and and uh, it worked out really well I can definitely see uh, others who uh, over time can make a career for the, for themselves as the person who or the set of people who who led our industry to clean up their act uh or to 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 lead in in the climate change war uh i think that that would be a uh, very attractive place to be at 10 15 years from now is to 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 have been a leader on on this whether you had the title or not
2: absolutely what a legacy right to say that you did that that would be mm-hmm. kind fantastic. Of-
0: exactly exactly so that that's all i've got for for now uh thank you everybody for, for 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 joining uh we'll include quite a bunch of links in in the in the show notes uh when, when this goes live uh kevin uh skyler and, and mary thank you so much for, for for joining me today uh keep up thank the you. good fight it is uh, so so important uh and, and uh, i i really in the long term uh, I I really can't think of anything more important as an as an industry that that, that we need to figure out.
3: Agreed. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing up this topic. Yeah.
0: Thank, thank you. you